Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. In this episode, I interview Shane Metcalf, the Chief Culture Officer and co-founder of 15.5. Shane and his co-founders started 15.5 with one special purpose, to help companies bring out the best in their people. As we will hear in today's conversation, Shane is no stranger to challenge and reaching deep within to do important work and bring out the truest potential in others teams, and himself. When Shane and I were first connected, there's no way we could have known how much both of us would need this conversation. Shane is also a keynote speaker and host of the Best Self-Management Podcast. So if you like what you hear today, go ahead and jump on over and take a listen to his podcast. Enjoy the discussion. Thanks for having me on, Bill. My name is Shane Metcalf, and I am the co-founder and chief culture officer of 15.5. And 15.5, we think of ourselves as a people and performance platform. And so the people side of things is, is looking at how do we leverage the cutting edge in the social science and positive psychology and humanistic psychology and really create software that supports the whole human being. You know, we think that we're in a sea change of, you know, and it's great because, you know, West Monroe is all about change management and we are going through massive change as a world. And we are going through massive change as a business community. We're waking up to the reality that human beings are actually human beings and not, you know, single-minded economic robots, as Dan Pink likes to say. And, uh, you know, a lot of our institutions, a lot of our business models were built on the idea that we were purely economically motivated and that if you just paid people and then told them what to do, that was basically the extent of your performance management. And we're, we're realizing that's not quite enough. So that's why we are, we're a people platform as well as a performance platform. The performance side of the house is OKRs, is reviews, is feedback, is how do you have honest conversations with your people? You know, you, you were just saying, hopefully this podcast is really the embodiment of, hey, let's just have honest conversations. And that's in a way, I think what we're really in a, on a real mission to do in the world is how do we get people to have more honest conversations with each other? Because communication is the magical superpower that we all have that can solve almost any problem that we're facing and help us create new levels of performance. Um, so a couple other things with 15.5, we're, we're about a 200-person company, venture-backed. We raised about $36 million in a Series A and B in 2019. We're distributed across the world. So we have nine different countries that our people are in, I think at least nine different states now. And we've been doing this from day one, building a hybrid remote and uh, kind of centralized and hubs model. We've won... Uh, you know, we're, we, we just got uh, number three best place to work on Glassdoor. We've been on Inc.'s best place to work list several times. Uh, we're getting a lot of this recognition for the culture we've built. And it's definitely, you know, I'm really proud of the business and the company and the product, but I'm really proud of the culture because 
this is our this is our experiment of how can we push the edge? How can we create a human-centric culture where people feel seen, heard, valued, supported by the company? And in turn, they want to actually do the best work of their life. They're intrinsically motivated to reach new levels of performance, contribute to the company, because we're ultimately trying to give them more than we're taking from them. Yeah, I, I I really appreciate what you're what you're sharing there, and, and congratulations on all those awards. I know those are those are not necessarily easy to come by, and they're certainly well deserved. I would love to talk a little bit around um, when you talk about you know putting the human at the center of this and the human at the center of work. It's so it's so timely right now because um, it's we're in this experience with COVID nineteen where we can't even. Um, com- communicate or cohabitate or commingle the way that we are used to, especially in the working world. And you all have been doing wonderful things, and you've and you've you've really been, um, you know, proponents of the power to be your intrinsic self, you know, meet your entire purpose, and also work work in a remote way and work in a virtual way. You know, a recent um, webinar that I listened to that you're you're your chief performance officer, John uh, Greenewalt, he described himself as a, a remote work convert and enthusiast. And I would love to dig into this a little bit because I, I'm i experiencing this, my colleagues are experiencing, my clients are experiencing it. You know, the news came out recently, Twitter basically said, hey, the workforce can work from home. Facebook this week said majority of their, their uh, workers can work from home. This is a new paradigm for a lot of people. So when you when we think about the humanness of what you're talking about, and I totally get it, how do you think this moment will create more converts, as John called himself, and um, an enthusiast, perhaps, uh, centered around exactly this ethos that you're talking about? Yeah, well, it's... It's a really interesting, and it's going to be so fascinating how the dust settles here and what we're looking at in five years. So I think that a couple of things that are, are happening is, yeah, the working from home agenda, let's say, you know, maybe there's like some, uh, you know, the Illuminati of people that have been conspiring to get the world to transition to working from home. And that agenda has been massively accelerated. And I think that what's what's happening is that companies are realizing, hey, look, we have a moral obligation to not force people to work in environments that are going to put them in danger. And so that's the kind of the big thing that's happening on the business side. But why it's working also is that these companies that have been staunchly in the idea that, no, we need to be in the office in order to both be productive and to build culture are realizing that, oh, this is actually easier than we anticipated. It was simpler and and more seamless to transition to fully remote than we ever would have imagined. Now, what's interesting is that I think that that why this is also a really powerful moment for the human agenda, for putting this human being at the center of our companies, is that giving the option for people to work from home is actually one of the key drivers of autonomy. And now a lot of people are going to go back to offices, but a lot of people are going to stay working from home. And that's the key thing here is that we now have greater choice. And choice, we love choice. We love being able to say, hey, I actually know what's best for my life. I want to, create, I want to live my best life. I do not want work to be a sacrifice that I make and that actually I 
deeply compromise other elements of my life. So being able to work from home or not work from home, but having that choice is so powerful because people start to be able to create a more ideal vision of their own life. And we have to remember that when we say, let's put the human being at the center of our company, that means that we as humans have lives outside of our companies. This isn't all about company culture. Like great company culture isn't all about the company. Great company culture is about the individual human being living a life that they feel proud of and that they feel in alignment with their own values, not just the values of the company. And that's a really important distinction because companies are kind of selfish. We like to only be like, yeah, well, it's all about me as the company. No, no, no. It's all about the people. Make your company a vehicle for people to realize their greatest dreams and you're going to win. Yeah. I mean, it, it echoes, it echoes really uh, well in my mind and my world. Um, I mean, I, I work at a company that is people first and we're, we're seeing that and we're feeling that and we're living that right now. And as you've, I've, as you've described, this is, a, this is kind of this test for things like choice and autonomy. And to me, that gives me a tremendous amount of excitement because um, I do agree. Yes, there, there may be people that go back to offices, but, and I've shared this with some of my colleagues, you know, lately, good luck putting the genie back in the bottle when it comes to things like choice and autonomy. Because, you know, people have now been given the opportunity to, as you've described, kind of figure out what works for them with choice. And, you know, we still focus on outcomes, we focus on goals, and we get the work done. But it's less about you have to be here to get the work done. I have to be seeing you to get the work done. Um, and, you know, the, the amount of creativity and flexibility that I'm seeing come during this time gives me a lot of hope. Um, you know, you touched on something that I would love to dig in a little bit more. You know, you and your colleagues talk a lot about in, in your mission um, to unlock and maximize the potential of people. Um, and I love that you talk about that. And I'm curious, you know, your thoughts as part of this, you know, when, when you talk about unlocking, maximizing the potential of people, I think it goes to what you're describing, which is the whole person, which requires what, what I would say is deep work right? It requires you to kind of dig into the depths um, of your truest potential because sometimes you don't get to that until you've kind of really gone to the, to navigate the space and the, and the emptiness and the vastness and the abyss. And without getting too sort of esoteric about it, I'm curious your thoughts on, this is what people are doing. We're sitting in this right now when we're, we're, we're in silence and we're in stillness and we're trying to figure this out. So in your discussions with your colleagues, with those you admire, with your peers, is this something that you think is going to be a, an accelerant to people kind of figuring out that true potential that, that exists inside them? Yeah, well, you know, I, I love this idea that if you could wish away all of your suffering, if you could wish away the struggles in your life, don't. Because it is, it is that suffering, it is the struggles, it is the difficulty, the challenges of our life that are the very instigators of our growth and evolution. And it sucks, you know, it's, it's kind of a sad but true uh, phenomenon of what it is to be a human being is that our, our challenges, our shadows are the very things that are the rocket fuel for our growth and development. And 
whether whether a traumatic experience kind of has somebody collapse and actually a, a go into a downward cycle and their life degrade over the long term or go into an upward cycle and improve and get in touch with what is essential and cut out what is inessential you know it's it's interesting because it's it's a very individual journey that we all take we all have our own individual heroes journeys that we're walking in this life but I do think it is worth reflecting on that it's not always post-traumatic stress. There is post-traumatic growth. I just did an interview with the BBC on this, actually, about post-traumatic growth and that we can go through these difficult experiences and emerge more in touch with what really fulfills us, more in touch with the higher meaning of life, more in touch with what is important and our own creativity and a blossoming of our contribution to the world. And so I, I do think that there is this, there is a chance that this whole globe, you know, I feel like we've taken the world and just shaken the snow globe. You know, planet Earth is a snow globe. And these last couple of months, you know, the kickoff to this decade of the 2020s is shaking the snow globe. And it's not, not going to settle I think that we have a lot more shakes coming. And so it is a really powerful time to, to examine what do we really want in life? How do we start to think about that? What do we need to reinvent? What are the strategies to reinvent ourselves, to reinvent our companies, to reinvent our cultures so that they can actually be supporting what the world needs and what we as human beings need? And, and all we can do as leaders and as companies is create environments that increase the odds of people experiencing post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic stress. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, I love that you talk about that because as a veteran, um, I work with a lot of veterans and part of this is the changing of the narrative. Part of this is telling people that you, we all still have more growth to do and that um, traumatic events or setbacks are, um, are are not actually our end, are not our end, not our limitation. They are in fact um, a crucible of of creativity and and growth. So I really appreciate that you hit on that, um, and it, and it makes me think about your role as a chief culture officer. And then, you know, in a recent podcast that you were in, I think you and your colleagues talked about how CEOs should actually be called chief emotional officers um, because they you know, these are my own words, I believe they are the caretakers of the um, emotions of a lot of people. So, so in, as a chief culture officer, I mean, it makes me wonder, the, in some ways, this, this experience that we're going through collectively as, as, a, as a globe, a shaken snow globe, I think it propels the chief culture officer to the front of the room and saying, how do, how do we do this? How do we take care of our own people and our clients and our colleagues and our families and do it in a very genuine way. So I'd love your thoughts on that aspect of like chief emotional officers as CEO and thoughts on, do you think the chief culture officer is going to be something we see more of um, going forward? So I think that, you know, it's not like just that, oh, well, we should think of the CEO as a chief emotional officer or they should be the chief emotional officer. They are. Whether that's a uh, you know good thing or a bad thing, but the the leaders of a company are 
highly contagious. Their entire energetic presence is, is more contagious than COVID-19 because the energetic contagion of, of somebody's emotions can actually spread through digital formats. You know, COVID uh, can't, you know, we have to be, you know, touching, we have to be coughing and sneezing on each other, but our emotions will spread like wildfire through any digital medium. And so it is really important for leaders to be doing our own work. Like you were saying of going into our own dark abysses, doing the, the deep introspection that it takes to actually work out some of our stuff. You know, I, I don't, for anyone that's interested in attachment theory, for instance, that's typically really talked about mostly in the world of relationships and, you know, having a secure, anxious or avoidant attachment styles that deeply influence how we show up in our, our intimate relationships. But all those things spill over into our leadership, into our management. You can't separate the two. You can't separate your own trauma, your own uh, narcissism, your own anger, your own raging from everything else that you do in life. And we might try to pretend that game. We might pretend that when we go to work, we put on our work hat. And when we go home, we put on our, our life hat. But it's, it's bullshit. You know, we're one, we're one person with all of these different parts. And sometimes some have more expression and more, more bandwidth devoted to them, but they're all the same. They're all played into with us. And so it's why doing the inner work as leaders is one of the most important things you can do to build a healthy company. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also this, one of the scariest parts to go for a lot of, for a lot of leaders, right? It's, um, I've had some pretty honest conversations with, with people about how, you know, the vulnerable, the sense of vulnerability is there and the sense of uncertainty and inadequacy and balancing that, you know, leaning into that and letting that be a strength for you as a, as a platform for others, because, you know, in, in you, somebody sees themselves and they, they can then there's a trust, there's a psychological trust that that's starting to happen. Um, and I think, I think your, your point around the digital sort of contagion of emotions is really important. And I, and I'd love your thoughts on even the medium that we're, we're connecting on now. I've been reading a lot about as a fellow creator podcasts and, 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 and is this going to take, is this going to sort of take things like podcasts into a different realm inside of corporations? You all run your own podcast both for customers and I imagine also for your own workforce and they benefit out of that. I'd love your thoughts as someone who is a creator, who's putting thoughts out there, who's connecting with people in in conversations like this and others. Um, Do you think there's going to be a new, I don't know, life to the way that people consume some of the digital content um, with the lens of what you're describing, which is emotion. So it's hard because we've only got two senses going right now, right? Audio and visual. But I think you're hitting on something which is really important, and it's part of the reason we consume media the way we do. Like, I listen for vulnerability. I listen for genuine. I listen for raw. I listen for the you know when the voice quivers um, because it reminds me there's a human being on the other side of it. I'd love your thoughts on that as someone who spends a lot of time in this in this space. Yeah, it's I you know I I don't know if I have anything intelligent here to say on this one because one of the one of the things that we have seen and i don't i don't know if this is still true but i know that in the first uh, 6 weeks 
of COVID really hitting, we actually saw this, a sharp decline in people listening to podcasts. And one of the theories is that podcasts have been one of the, you know, we consumed primarily on the commute that we have these commutes. And so long form audio content was super convenient for that. And now all of a sudden that's shifting out of it. And so we're, we don't all have these, you know, 30, 60 minute commutes in the morning. And so it's, it is shifting a little bit. I simultaneously, I think, you know, seeing video just kind of blowing up. I mean, you look at zoom, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of this app called Marco Polo and which is asynchronous video messages. And it's super interesting because I, I have a men's group where, you know, uh, once or twice a month, we would all meet in person and really go deep and really like get into the raw experience of what we're feeling and, you know, really actually in a way kind of tap more into our feminine of actually not just being bros and hanging out and, you know, talking shit, but really actually what is going on inside of us. And we shifted that entirely over to Marco Polo, which is really interesting because it's, you know, it's, uh, we fit it in between the cracks and so we can listen whenever we want, but we still are feeling seen, heard, and valued by each other and staying deeply connected. Um, you know, we're approaching Zoom burnout right now. You know, everyone is on video meetings all day and it's a lot. And so one of the things that is actually really interesting, and I love the kind of the retro tech, techno retrogrades that happen is people are like, well, what if we just did a phone call? And this crazy idea of, oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, let's just hop on the phone. And the relief that kind of comes from, oh, cool, I can actually walk around the house and I can take care of the baby and I can make myself some lunch while on this call. And so I think that those kinds of mediums are changing and that we're going to see interesting new technologies emerge to help prevent some of the digital deluge, the overwhelm of constant digital mediums. Um, and as far as the podcasts, you know, I mean, I think that we need to be adaptive. We need to think about how do we create, how do we take this, you know, longer conversation we're having and cut it up into digestible bits? How do we make it so that you can watch the two minutes of this conversation and still get something valuable? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting you talk about uh, Marco Polo, because I've also used that. And very similarly, I belong to a meditation group. And um, it's called Wisdom Circle. It's a, a year, it's been a year journey with four other souls on this planet. And we actually started using that for the exact same reason was that, um, you know, I sometimes call it the marginalia of change. It's like, it's what happens in the cracks, right? It's, it's, it's what happens in between the lines. And sometimes that's the most evocative and powerful stuff. And you, and you want to share that and say, Hey, this happened. And to do it in a synchronous way was really helpful to, to begin with. And then I started noticing there were, you know, there were times when that tension presents itself, like, are you, speaking honestly, or are you worried about how you look? And, you know, we kind of had that dance with it. Interestingly enough, in a, in a COVID-19 world, it's coming back. People are, are using it more. I read an interesting article this morning about um, another sort of digital social uh, tool or app called Clubhouse. I'm not sure if you're familiar yeah, with this I'm one. Yeah, I'm familiar, yeah. I haven't yeah. actually used it, but I, I keep hearing about it. 
Yeah, and I haven't used it either. I've just read a very interesting Medium article about it. But it speaks to the the thing you were talking about, which is sort of this um, ability to jump into an audio room, so no video, um, and just and just talk. And it's not about recording. It's not about you know having a uh, you know a, a poignant thought. It's just about talking to someone. And so I'm finding it interesting that people are connecting in those ways. And then. Another technology somebody introduced me to yesterday as a, as a Spotify user is this ability to do this co-DJing thing, which has really been interesting. And, and as you talked about, you know, how we're going back to, to, you know, to technology, yes, it's done in a digital way. But essentially what I realized was there was a handful of people in my company who were benefiting from colleagues sharing musical experiences with them because it stokes the emotion. Um, I hosted a call a couple weeks ago with some colleagues and said, hey, you know, all four of us have this uh, love of all things Italian and Italy and the culture and Italy played a big part in our in our upbringing. How about we just jump on a, a, a call and, and we just start sharing some of the songs that we're listening to and why. And it was it was this evocative experience. It was really great. And so now there are people in the company jumping into this DJ room and it's really fun. Like I got up this morning. And there's somebody in San Francisco who's DJing this morning and it just plays through a speaker and I turn it down a little bit, but it, it feels like I'm with somebody, like I'm connected to them. I'm kind of seeing the mood they're in. And then when I'm on a meeting with them later, I've, I've already got a little bit of like dialed into their, um, their mindset and, and their emotions. And it's just day one of me using this and it's been a lot of fun. So I'm curious, like, these are things that we're trying to repli replicate um, in, in old, you know, old style ways, but with new technology, there's going to be a lot more of these that, that come to mind. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if you've tried any of these things, obviously you have with Marco Polo, are there other things you're hearing about? Yeah. Well, it, it's so fascinating because it makes me think of, yeah, there, there, we're connecting through a digital medium, but sometimes I almost wonder if, like what I was actually just thinking, and I haven't really thought about this before, but what if we kind of cheapen the quality of the connection by saying it's only a virtual connection or it's a digital connection? Because what's happening is you're actually having an emotional experience of being connected to that other person in real time. And yeah, it's not in meat space, but there's a heart space that is actually connecting and that it's kind of a, a strangely cosmic transcending geography even though that person is isn't here with me i i feel a somatic emotional connection to them and that's what's really interesting right is that it's like yeah. well that's not that's not just technology that's actually the internal biochemistry being changed because of where you're putting your attention. And it's just like, we can remember people in our lives that have passed, you know, it's really easy to forget them. And then we remember and we just think about them and it produces an emotional experience. And yeah, so like the syncopated, the syncopated emotions, the syncopated heartbeat. I mean, to me, that's one of the great things people have always said, music is a universal language. And I think about it. It's a somatic. Yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm feeling the beat. Somebody else is feeling the beat. There are multiple people. That's why I love those stories about the DJs doing what they, what they're doing with, you know, all these people kind of dialing in because it is, it is a little bit like we're tuning our frequency 
into each other's, you know, uh, biorhythms in one way. Right. Well, you know, and, and it's, um, I, I get a, I have a fun uh, perspective on all that. My wife is a, a producer, an electronic music producer and a DJ. And so I actually get to see the, the whole journey of her taking her musical performance career into the digital asynchronous synchronous world. And it's really fascinating because, you know, she, she plays a lot of in the ecstatic dance world where, you know, normally it's ecstatic dance is kind of, uh, uh, you know, you gather in normally in these warehouses and stuff, and it's not, you don't talk on the dance floor. It's not the kind of club meat market drinking and you're trying to get laid and all of that process. It's actually using dance and movement as a bit of a meditation practice, as a kind of transformational journey. And seeing that entire community go digital, where my wife is sitting at, at this desk where I'm sitting right now and she's got her entire setup and she's streaming live and DJing live. And we have hundreds of people tuned in around the world. And it's no longer just the Oakland dance crew. It's in international. It's hundreds of people from all over the world in their living rooms being taken on this journey. And it's so fascinating and what I love about this is that it's also going to really push all of this technology forward. You know, you were saying we only have, you know, AV here. Um, I'm seeing you, but you're just a two-dimensional pixel and I can hear you. And I think that fast forward five or 10 years, we're going to see so many cool innovations come through in the realm of virtual digital connection that open up a little bit more of the senses that play with different uh, ways of making it so that we actually feel like we're there. Like, I mean, I, I have like these ideas of, it would be so cool to have you know, in a Zoom room, what if we had like an AI that basically took people's profiles of, of them, stitched them, stitched them together so it was a single room and we could actually be there. And then I think this is gonna, interesting things with, with virtual reality are gonna come through this. And also what I really hope is that as we're able to start connecting again in person, we really cherish that in-person human connection. And we yeah. really stop taking it for granted because it's a gift. And you know what, like things, pandemics have happened on the planet before and we, we you know, hum humanity survives and we move forward and we forget about it. And so I think that it, hopefully in our lifetimes, at least, we really cherish the in-person human connection when it comes to us. Yeah. I mean, the, the, when you were talking about just the power of like the collective and the intention, the power of intention, I, I remember the first time I saw one of those events, like you described where everybody's listening to the same thing. It was actually on the Pacific coast in San Francisco. So I forget the name of the beach, but you basically go through, um, uh, through the park all the way to like the edge to the Pacific yeah, coast. Baker's beach. Yeah. Baker's beach. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and I remember, you know, going and I was like, what is this? And everybody had headphones on. They were over your headphones. Oh yeah. Silent disco. Yeah. And they were all moving together, but it was, it was a really meditative experience to watch because you thought to yourself, wow, like everybody is, it's like the power of intention. Like they're all with the intention of feeling this, and then I thought to myself, 
you know, every footstep that they're doing is hitting every grain of sand and every grain of sand. And I just, my mind just went to this, this place where I was like, this is all connected. And it was a beautiful like moment to pause and experience that as a, as somebody who was just walking by. Um, and I think that's what you're, that's what you're talking about. And I love that we're, we're still finding ways to do that. And then you take it into the VR, AR, VX, whatever you want to call it. I totally agree. I mean, I remember early days of second life, you know, I worked at IBM back in the day and we were like, Oh, let's do the second life thing. Let's figure it out. And I remember I spent a lot of time on that trying to figure it out. And of course it, it didn't take off then. It might in the future. Who knows, right? Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's interesting. Uh, Philip Rosedale, the founder of Second Life, uh, he's a friend and he's he has a really interesting new company called High Fidelity and that is in the AR world, but they're really working on the sound element of virtual reality. And and so they have they have some interesting new betas that they're playing around with, but that like basically when you're in a virtual world that you can walk around in it, but that as I get closer to you, I actually get louder. Or if I go to your left side, you hear it in your left ear, and I can w- circle around you and talk. And so they're really trying. They're they're playing with these different different mediums to connect in the virtual world that bring in um, still with audio, but that a more lifelike representation of how sound actually works. And so it's just of like, oh man, yeah, like there's so many cool things that are going to emerge out of this. You know, it's always been bad news breakdowns and chaos that are the driving force of life's creative evolution. You know, I'm a big fan of this guy, Brian Swim, who's a, a mathematical cosmologist and that, that, I think that's actually a direct quote from him. Bad news, breakdowns, and chaos that are the cr- creative drivers of life's evolution. And, you know, you think of the extinction of the dinosaurs. It was, it was that. I mean, unimaginably destructive moment on planet Earth. You know, we think, we like to think that, like, right now is the most destructive moment. You know, the force of the meteor that struck, that wiped out the dinosaurs, is estimated to have been a thousand times more powerful than if you took every single nuclear weapon on the planet and detonated them in the same moment at the same location a thousand times more powerful than that boom and it seemed kind of like game over you know how do you recover from that and and so with this the current destruction on the planet and you know i mean because god you know we're we're super preoccupied with COVID, but we're in the middle of a mass extinction. 20,000 species go extinct every single year on the planet right now. That's a, that's a really hard thing to even grasp. 20,000 species going extinct, never to be seen again. And so there's massive destruction. And in, in, inside of all, you know, but it was the dinosaurs getting taken off the table that actually created space for the mammals to thrive. And, you know, millions and millions and millions of years later, those mammals become us. So we would not be here if it wasn't for that unbelievably destructive moment. And so what is the current destruction of, you know, just let's say office culture, what does that create the space for? And, and hopefully it is, uh, hopefully we get to see some of the fruits of that, some of the benefits of that in our lifetime. But, because, yeah. you know, and, and just to like tr- kind of tie a lot of these threads up, I think it really is that like we can 
start to bring in more of our own humanity, more of the, our own love, our own passions, our own excitement, the things that have us come alive and bring them into our business cultures. And that's when people feel like, oh, cool. I have a sense of belonging here. I'm not just anonymous cog in the machine. I actually am seen, valued, and heard for who I really am, my more authentic self. And I get to leverage my highest strengths in service of the mission of the company. Yeah. Now we're cooking with gas. I, I also agree. I, I, I'm already feeling um, waves of that and, and ripples of that. And that excites me. That gives me a tremendous amount of hope. And as you hit on, you know, there's a great meditation I did this morning through Insight Timer, which is, uh, you know, an app I use. Um, and there was a there was a great reminder in it. Um, it was all about sort of enduring, you know, like how do we endure? I think it was a meditation with Sarah Blondin, who's in British Columbia. And and I loved the fact that she reminded, you know, us that um, the majority of the learning is in the waiting. Um, and we're... I don't know if a lot of people have been tested this much with waiting, but as you described, right, there was, there's destruction that happens. There's a lot of waiting. There's creation that happens. There's a lot of waiting. And, and, you know, we're talking in epics here. Um, and there's, there's a lot of learning that we're doing, but much of that comes in waiting um, and resisting the urge to accelerate and grasp yeah. and clench. Um, and that's, that's unlearning a, a bit you know, for us and in, in our, in our muscle memory and our mental muscle memory as well. Um, and I really just appreciate that, that we've, we've talked about all this stuff. Cause I, this is the stuff that I think a lot about. I, and I know there are people starting to talk to me about these things to your point, maybe they didn't feel they could have talked about some of these cosmology things at work before, but now we're talking about it. The music that people are playing through these DJ things are starting to say, Oh, I didn't know you like that. And I put on a, I put on a binaural beats and people are like, what is this? And I'm like, yeah. this is the stuff that saves me every night when I can't turn the mind off. And they're like, what am I listening to? You know? And you know, the high fidelity stuff is fascinating too, because you know, the concept of being able to have someone experience the audio sensation of being in an old growth forest when they've never stepped foot in maybe the Amazon or an old growth forest like you awaken something in them that to your point gives them just enough, you know, curiosity about, I actually want to know more. What, what can I do to prevent the extinction of, of, of this ecosystem? The extent, you know, the decisions we're all going to be making very differently about our carbon footprint, right? Like, I mean, my own company published the amount of offset and savings that we've done just at, just ourselves and our small company by not doing the the Monday through Thursday and everything else that, and it, it completely opened my eyes. And I was like, I, that's a, that's a metric I now carry with me. Like <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah, that's going to be part of my quote unquote proposals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do we really need, do we really need to be there because it's going to be this impact on this earth that we live on? To me, that's a wonderful thing. Like to be, to be able to have that discussion and debate. Um, at this time. That's the learning. That's the waiting for me. Yeah, because fundamentally, we need to reinvent our economy. Like the way that our economy has been structured and built is leading to very bad news for all life on the planet. And, and this is hopefully in the, in the snow globe, in the waiting, we get to do that reinvention and we get to realize, oh, wow, actually 
not doing a commute every day, not just hopping on a plane because, well, hey, I have a, a 60 minute meeting in New York and I'm in San Francisco and it's really much more valuable to do it in person. So let's go do that. And meanwhile, I'm leaving my wife and baby and she kind of is not stoked on that. And I don't get to be as present in her life and in their lives. And okay, cool. But and then, and then realizing, oh, wow, actually I can do a 60 minute Zoom meeting and save thousands of dollars and dozens of hours and still get close to the same result. Global emissions have dropped 17% since COVID really hit. And it's so fascinating because it's like, okay, cool. Well, how do we continue that trajectory, but also build a really healthy economy? And I think that, you know, I predict the next decade is going to be very tumultuous. I think that there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, seismic plates and cycles and, and patterns kind of coming to fruition that are going to be quite a, quite a ride, you know, like, mark my words, the 2020s are going to be the most exciting decade of our lives. And I'm really optimistic about the 2030s. Yeah, absolutely. In the last couple uh, moments we have here, I would love to have you share, as we think about the 2020s, how do you stay healthy and change? You've touched on this a little bit, but if you, if you would share some advice with listeners it's going to be really important for people to stay healthy and change. And um, you're someone that's kind of been a lot of spaces and helping people with that. Just love your thoughts on, on how you stay healthy and change as a leader. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think that, that, that if we, if we take it as a more universal, how do we stay healthy and change? I think it would be really good to examine what are some of the underlying premises or beliefs, foundational beliefs we have about change. Do we, is, is change, inherently provoke a fear response in us? And so if, if so, well, that's, that's rooted in beliefs. So can we start to embrace change that, like, I, I, I try to hold a belief that all change is good, that it's all actually moving upward and onward, and all change is good. And sometimes I, it sucks in the moment, and I totally don't embrace that, but that's the meta belief I try to always have about change. And so it's saying, okay, whoa, global pandemic completely shuts down the economy and the political tensions are higher than ever and every, you know, like massive change. Good. This is leading us somewhere. And so that, just that belief, whether it's true or not, gives me an enormous amount of sanity and trust because fundamentally, I think that how do, you, how do you do well in change? You need to trust the change. You need to not know what's coming next. And so it's making peace with the unknown. It's making peace with the uncertainty. And understanding I'm going to be okay no matter what. The world's going to be okay no matter what. I can trust whatever comes my way is a really interesting belief to play with. And of course, easier said than done. But that is, a, that is something that really actually gives me a lot of energy. And then I think that getting back to our practices that help us switch into being, you know, it's like be, do, be, do, be, do, be, do, be, do, or do, be, do, be, do, be, do, be, do, be. I think do, be, do, be, do, be is a better one. But we need to find ways of switching gears from doing 
into being and then back again and alternating between those two polarities. And, and in general, that's part of something that I've tried to do as chief culture officer is create dooby 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 do rhythms inside of our own company so that our people get entrained into that same pattern of switching gears. And, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. And, and so that really helps with well-being because it's pausing, it's taking deeper breaths. You know, I, I, I have uh, this idea that stress is a manifestation of shallow breathing. That's all it is. And so when we're really stressed, when I'm really stressed, can I take some deeper breaths? Can I begin to calm my amygdala and actually let my body know that I'm not in a survival situation? And then that changes everything. I, luckily, I, I count my lucky stars. I made a commitment to do some form of movement practice every single day for the entire year. So I committed to pretty much yoga every day for the whole year because I had this like, okay, I can keep a practice up for a month or two months. And then I kind of fall off the wagon. So I said, you know what, who I want to be is I want to be the kind of guy that can do a practice for a long time. So I'm going to commit to every single day for the entire 2020. And I'm so grateful I did that because that has been a lifeline for me taking advantage of all this time at home and being like, cool. I'm going to commit to my practices. And I think we have to be really compassionate and easy on ourselves. And it's totally okay if we're having whatever response we're having to this whole process. But at, a start, at some point, we want to start making choices that are going to be serving our, our trust, serving our well-being versus just kind of collapsing into emotional overwhelm. I mean, I'm smiling because uh, it's so great to hear uh, a fellow mind and a luminary echo the things that you're saying. It's really, really comforting. And you talk, you know, you talk about the importance of cultivating this stuff um, and, you know, mastery and resilience. Um, so thank you. I, I would say meta, meta thank you is what I would say um, for being a creator, for being a chief culture officer, for leading conversations like you're leading, um, for for helping customers and colleagues, you know, through this time and, um, and helping the collective. I would, I just really appreciate you sharing. Um, I'm excited to, to have people hear this. Um, and thanks for your time. Bill, thank you so much. And yeah, may we trust the change. Yeah, absolutely. May we trust the change. Mm -hmm.